when you're bootstrapped and you're profitable and and you have a diverse customer set, you're almost in this really advantageous position where you don't answer to anybody. You know, like you can just kind of do whatever you want, build the business the way that you want. You know, not that you want to like lose customers, but if you lose a customer, it's not the end of the world because you have a lot of a lot of other ones. So there's just like this immense amount of flexibility. That was SwagUp CEO and founder Michael Martucci. And in this episode, I sat down with Michael to talk about his experience building and scaling SwagUp, where his entrepreneurial spirit came from, how he's thinking about scaling culture as the organization grows, and a lot more. And we'll be back with that conversation after a brief word from our sponsor. It's time to let go of past perceptions of HR. Amplify is a new model of agency designed from the ground up to support business and people leaders navigate the new world of work. We do that through two platforms. Our HR executive search practice is a new model of agency that moves away from traditional search models with our flat fee structure and advisory on the front and back end to help our clients attract and retain transformational people leaders. Our Amplify Accelerator is a unique platform to support continuous learning and build readiness, capability, and global networks for today's people leaders through cohorts, community, and resources to support their growth. Learn more at AmplifyTalent.com. Now, onto the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Redefining HR Podcast. I'm your host, Lars Schmidt. And today, I'm really excited to sit down with Michael Mertocci. Michael is the founder and CEO of SwagUp, and we're going to cover his career. We're going to talk about what he's building, how he's catering to the HR community. But before we even get into that, like it was interesting. Like I was a SwagUp customer before I met Michael, and I've been using SwagUp um, for Swag for the Amplify Accelerator and the cohort programs um, that I've been hosting over the last you know year plus. And so uh, when we first connected, I think it was probably on Twitter. Uh, and then we kind of got to talking about collaborating. Uh, and so we've now collaborated uh, on swag as well. So I've got some uh, kits that I've worked with uh, Michael's team to, to develop for the Amplify community. So I'm excited to get those out in the wild uh, after this episode. And uh, yeah, excited to sit down with you, just learn more about what you're building, kind of what, what you know, brought you here and what's next. So Michael, why don't you start with just uh, an intro of yourself for the audience? Well, first off, we actually connected, I think, maybe three years ago at, at the very first time, because I remember when you were launching, I don't know if you were launching Amplify or not, but you had this like lightning bolt logo that was yeah. yellow and, and pink and blue. And I remember you wanted to put it on like pins and some and some socks and stuff. But I, I don't know if we ever did an order or if it was just kind of some mock-ups, but I, I just remember that in the back of my mind, like talking to you a long time ago. And then we finally made it really happen over the last year or so but it's been uh it's been a fun journey but but yeah i mean i, I was a lifelong kind of entrepreneurial kid you know when i was five years old i was the type of kid that was selling stuff to their neighbors and and mowing their lawns and and shoveling their snow to just try to make some money um i don't know i didn't even have like a need for the money but i just kind of like liked transacting and just the whole idea of like commerce and when i used to play video games growing up it was more of the roller coaster tycoons and the you know, lemonade tycoons where you're actually like building businesses on, on the computer and stuff. So always, always had something going growing up, whether it was baseball cards or, um, you know, buying and selling things on eBay, it's just always kind of evolved. And then when I was 13, I actually ended up buying my first stock. It was Ford Motor Company and that got me into like buying and, and selling stocks a little bit growing up. And then I got really into finance and 
I ended up going to school for uh, for finance at William and Mary in Virginia, so not too far from from where you are. Yeah. Um, and I got really into like that community and into the business school early. And you know, I, I worked at a hedge fund when I was pretty young, so I was going to go down that path and do wealth management and, and and all those types of things. But in the back of my mind and and in my DNA, I was always much more of a, an entrepreneur and kind of a risk taker and a you know somebody who would like zig when others zag and i was i found myself at college kind of settling in a little bit to to the finance world and then i kind of like snapped out of it a little bit when my buddy from high school reached out and was like hey i want to start this app to find other kids on campus to you know play basketball with or volleyball etc and i was like i don't know how to code or, or anything but like screw it let's do it i had some money saved up from like being a waiter at pizza places and stuff in, in high school so we we found a offshore development firm and started building it. And you know, in that process, we want to get custom flags up in, in dorm rooms and stuff to to launch the app and, and promote it. And I was trying to find suppliers in the US to get these these flags made and they're like $130, $140. And then I found suppliers and factories overseas for like $7, $8. So at that time, I kind of learned a little bit about like custom printing supply chain and started a little website to resell like flags and banners from overseas factories online. and that was like my first foray into you know swag in a, in a way and it kind of stumbled into learning a little bit more about it over time I, and then i ended up dropping out of school i was at a vc firm for a little bit and then being around all these startups all the time you know, i saw i kind of put two and two together in my background of understanding the swag supply chain with you know seeing startups and seeing how much they care about brand and community and employee experience and how swag if done well plays a big role in it and you know you know started swag up with basically Kind of nothing, uh, you know, with some Wix, Wix website and Typeform, et cetera, and the rest was kind of history from there. So, well, I mean, you mentioned like from the get go, right? You've been involved and interested in in entrepreneurial efforts even as a kid. Like, where does that come from for you? Is that is it, did you pick that up from your parents? Is it did you, was there a family element that kind of maybe you know got you hooked on seeing what you could build? Yeah, I mean, there's there's some sort of DNA like innate within me because you know it was ever since I can remember, like four years old, five years old, I was doing these types of things. I, I remember I used to have family come over and I'd take the tissues in the house and then repurpose them into like to-go packages and then bring them downstairs and try to sell them to like be like, hey, would you pay fifty cents for like these to-go tissues? So, and one of my first like ideas was uh, the butter stick. I wanted to take butter and make it into like a glue stick kind of and spread it on toast and, and like different stuff like that. And then I remember I used to be in the kitchen like a mad scientist making protein ice cream. So I would take I was I was like I, I got into working out a little bit earlier in my life and then I wanted to make ice cream that was healthy that had high protein. So I had like these little like experimental Tupperwares of like ice cream that I was making. So there's something in me that just you know can't help it. Like I'm just always you know creating things and, and trying to start businesses like that. But my dad, my dad's an entrepreneurial guy. So, I mean, that's kind of where it comes from. I, I get two sides of the equation. I have my dad, who's the creative kind of risk taker, ambitious ones, you know, has always been a self-starter. Uh, he was, when he was like 18, 19, he was promoting uh, shows in like Brooklyn, New York and New York City, like like uh, acts. Like he, you know, he worked with Frank Sinatra when he was younger and went on tour with him a bit and stuff. So he was always kind of hustling. He was like a radio DJ for his college and stuff. And then on the other side, my mom is like this very analytical kind of like slow thinker, worked at Morgan Stanley for 30 years. So I get I get some of that finance kind of analytical mindset from her and then the risk taking ambition from from my dad. And then actually my mom's, um, you know, 
dad was a, a scientist at NASA too. So I kind of have all these different kind of characteristics of creativity and, and ingenuity, but risk taking um, that come from some sort of you know, genetic makeup, I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds like uh, the, the foundation was there based on, uh, you know, based on that background and those, that family. Um, what, you know, when you kind of made the call, I know you've been doing entrepreneurial endeavors for most of your life. Um, when did you know, like, you know, you're, you're kind of dabbling in, in, in flags and, and, you know, getting some exposure to the supply chain side there. Like, when did you have the idea for Swag Up? When did you know it was time to like shift and just fully commit to doing that? Yeah. So like I said, in college, when I was about eight, 18 or so is when I first kind of got introduced to, to custom promotional products and, and overseas manufacturing, et cetera. And then I, I left school. And the first thing I did after school was I was business partners with an NFL player. And some of the stuff we were doing together there was like online fitness training programs and stuff. And we were even with that, we we're bundling, you know, physical products with the digital products. So, you know, shaker cups with, you know, the company logo on them or resistance bands or different fitness equipment. So I was still kind of flexing that muscle. So even, even before Swag Up started, like I had that ability to source and, and you know, produce these items. And then when I was at the VC firm, like I was saying, you just see these startups and ev every startup gets swag like very early in the journey. And, and then when they're trying to hire new employees, they really want to build this sense of camaraderie and connection. And when you talk to them, nobody does it the same way. It's like one of these really highly fragmented markets. There's 30,000 different like swag distributors out there. So, you know, some people are buying it from like some local mom and pop shop. Some people are going to like one of the bigger e-commerce sites. You know, every, everybody has like a swag person. They just call them and, and they help them out. But there was really no kind of like streamlined technology enabled solution to make this process really simple from from end to end. So as I was saying, like I just, you know, while I was still at the VC firm at night, I would build out this this website on, on Wix and, you know, just kind of dragging and drop, making it look really good. And, and the whole idea was like, I want to make buying swag as simple as buying software, like make the UI and the design and the brand really kind of familiar to people, especially people at like high growth startups versus, you know, traditionally what you see from Swag Up is, is like some really old, ugly website that you got to kind of like call the number to learn more about it. And they just kind of list services. Or on the other side, you have like these bigger e-commerce brands that again, like the e-commerce sites are pretty old and ugly and they show you just way too much options. It's like, you know, there's 500 water bottles, there's 2000 notebooks, like it's, they kind of just push all the work on your side. And, and I was like, companies aren't looking to do this on their own. Like they're looking to get back to the things that they have to do on a daily basis. And swag is not like their main priority. So we need to take some of this work off their, off their plate. So, you know, very, very soon, like you've got a website up there, put some Google ads and very quickly, like legitimate companies started, started reaching out. So I stayed at the VC fund for maybe another month or so. I was only there for like four months and just went on this uh, full time, but it wasn't, yeah, like there were some good companies reaching out, but the first few months were like 3000 a month, 4,000 a month in revenue. Like it wasn't anything crazy. And, you know, I, w I was stupid at the time. I had maybe like 35, 40 K saved up and that started to dry out pretty quickly, especially cause I got a, I got a WeWork in New York city for, I don't know, for no reason, like uh, just to kind of le legitimize the business in some way. I think we we're spending like $4,000 a month. So it was pretty, it was pretty stupid. Um, but you know, one, one of the first orders we ended up getting like three, four months in was for these new hire packs and a company wanted to put together a uh, hundred new hire kits for every uh, new hire, you know, a uniform assortment of things. And it just got me thinking like, 
wow, if we really focus in on that product offering and, and be the swag pack company, make that really simple, it'll be very clear to people like how we're different and distinct from every other company. And, and we'll be known as somebody that does this really well. And there's so many use cases because it's not just new hires, it's company milestones, work anniversaries, it's you know sending it to your partners. There's so many different ways you can leverage like a swag box and nobody was making it simple. Like you'd have to, to do that yourself would require a lot of logistics and a lot of man hours to, to make it happen. So we just decided to double down on on that as like the niche for us. And then it became just like mousetrap that allows us to attract and acquire a lot of, a lot of customers at once. Yeah. You know, it's funny when, now that you mentioned that and you mentioned the lightning bolt, it was with, uh, it was with HR open source. And it actually now I distinctly remember it was a, a nonprofit that a, a friend and I had created, uh, and we designed that lightning bolt and we were going to some events and we wanted to create some swag. And I was going to some of those other vendors where it's like, you want swag? Like here's a catalog or like here, you could buy a thousand of these things. I'm like, I don't want a thousand of these things and I want to actually see it. You know, before I've been in. So I think that the the way you kind of went tech first on the front end, it made it really easy to kind of go in and either, you know, uh, select, you know, kind of prearranged and pre-configured kits or design your own, uh, I think was smart. And I think actually looking back, I think I did end up getting some of them from you that we took to an event uh, in Vegas. So I, I think you're right. I think that may have actually been the first time we, uh, we connected. Um, when you think about, you kind of talked about the, you know, what swag is, right? And I think you, you know, you kind of mentioned before promotional material and um, yes, it can be that. And I think in a traditional sense, a lot of organizations may look at swag in that way. But I think from an HR perspective, we tend to look at swag differently um, in terms of like, whether it's onboarding, whether it's employee, uh, you know, celebrations or, or milestones, um, whether it's a rebrand or a relaunch and we want to get people excited about there's, there's a, a connective element, I think, to swag when done thoughtfully and right in that sense. And I'm curious, like when, you know, you have a range of customers, I'm sure some are in HR, others are in, you know, different disciplines, but how do you see your customers on the HR side kind of thinking about or using uh, the swag? Yeah, I, I think to your point, like when, when done right, swag is a huge bonding agent to bring people together and, and connect. And even since the beginning, I, I've never really been a fan of, of giveaways and, and promo items as much. You know, the, the stuff that you typically see at, at uh, conferences where, hey, like, let's put our logo on something cheap and just throw it out and give it to everybody. And hopefully that they care enough about the brand. Like to me, Swag, swag starts with, okay, do, is there some sort of already innate connection between the company and, and this third party, whether it's a customer, an employee, a partner, et cetera, then swag can then be leveraged to really create a deeper sense of connection and bring those people closer together versus like randomly hoping that it's going to help, you know, um, you know, drive affinity for a company. So, you know, we focused in on, on HR use cases early on specifically for that reason to say, Hey, like we actually truly believe that when Swag's done well, it's a really powerful tool for HR and people engagement and these types of use cases, specifically with, with new hire, like that really became kind of our, our calling card is like being the company that all, all HR teams are going to, to help with new hire Swag programs. And the reason why, you know, that I saw this kind of happening is, as I was telling you a little bit before is, you know, in the past, if you go 20, 30 years ago, the balance of power was in the company's hand. It's like, you know, IBM, it's, Google, it's like a couple big companies. They're like, oh, like if I get a job at Xerox, like I'm I'm super lucky. Like I hope I can work at a company like that. Where and same thing from a customer standpoint, like you, you didn't have as many options to choose from where to buy 
And now today it's totally shifted where if you're a great engineer, you literally have a thousand cool companies that you can work at. If you're if you're a customer looking for a project management software, you have 50 different that you can choose from. So there's a much at this at this point, there's a much deeper sense of connection and bond between the companies that you choose to work for or, or to buy from. And it's typically tied to like, who are the other types of people there? What's their value system? Like, what's the mission that they're on? Do I really does that really resonate with me? Is this something I want to like get behind for the next two, three, four, five, ten years? And in that sense, you know, keep, people just care a lot more about the place they work. And then in that sense, swag becomes this point of pride and connection for them in the same way that if you go to it's the same thing as like going to Harvard. Let's say you get accepted into Harvard. The first thing you're doing is going to the bookstore to get the sweatshirt because you want to feel I'm now part of this community and I care so much about it. I want everyone to know as well that I'm part of this community. And you go out to a bar in Boston that night and somebody else from Harvard sees you, you're instantly connected in that sense. And that's kind of the the culture that I think and the level of connection that companies hope that they can achieve where everybody in that ecosystem equally cares enough about that company where the swag can can bring them together. And but you know, you have to do it well. It's gotta be high quality stuff that people actually want designed well. Maybe it's not so in your face from a design standpoint. Maybe it's something that's subtle that people really who are in it, they know. Like it doesn't have to be so apparent. I think it hinges more on like the corporate gifting side, if anything, than than like the promo market where where it's more on like the, the giveaway side. So it's 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 more like a, a, a gifting tool, I think, at the end of the day. Traditional HR and learning systems are largely rooted in legacy mindsets and practices. They're not equipped to keep pace with the dynamic times we've experienced since the events of 2020 and beyond. That's why I launched the Amplify Accelerator. The Amplify Accelerator is a platform for connecting, developing, and supporting the next generation of people leaders. Designed to support continuous learning and build capabilities and connections, the Accelerator helps modern people leaders build the necessary skills to successfully navigate this new world of work. The flagship of the Amplify Accelerator is the Cohort Program. These peer-based learning courses are designed to help you become a more confident people leader, armed with a new global peer community and a toolkit full of actionable advice, resources, templates, and more. Cohort students engage in a mix of synchronous and asynchronous learning designed to fit into the schedules of today's people leaders. You'll also learn from world-class guest instructors including Katie Burke, Caitlin Holloway, Pat Waters, Claude Silver, AJ Thomas, Tiffany Stevenson, and so many more. Ready to invest in yourself? Learn more at AmplifyTalent.com slash cohorts. Well, you've been growing uh, tremendously over the last couple of years. So I want to talk to you about that and, and particularly the people side of that. Um, but before we get there, like you know, one of the things that I think also makes your growth story unique, especially in this day and age, is that you're bootstrapped. Why was that important to you? Like, I'm sure you've had in this market lots of VCs reaching out, um, you know, looking to to give you money. Why why was it important to you to kind of to keep things bootstrapped and, and scale that way? Well, I think first off, it just it started out where it wasn't even an option to raise money. You know, if, if you go back to the you know the genesis of the company, it was like, let's see if there's something there. Let's let's get a website up there. Let's see if customers care. It was just kind of this iterative snowballing effect of like let's let's see if there's a business to be had there and then things just started to happen very quickly like once we focused in on like the swag pack concept it was like okay thirty thousand that month and then sixty thousand then a hundred thousand and five hundred thousand so things started to evolve very quickly so we were just trying to keep up with 
demand at the time. And we weren't thinking about like, oh, we need more money. We have to raise money for X, Y, and Z. And there's also some favorable like dynamics within the business that, that allow you to bootstrap more easily. For example, we don't have to prepay for inventory. So if we were like a, a typical e-commerce company, you have to float capital to like have inventory to then sell. Whereas in this world, since everything's custom made, we're you know procuring and, and manufacturing to order. Um, so we're getting paid typically from our customers and then paying out our vendors afterwards. So that that allows you to kind of you know not need a ton of capital to start. And then the fact that we have a network of suppliers that have a lot of the manufacturing capabilities and the machinery, we didn't have to make big like, investments in those assets up front to be able to to build a business. And then you know by like year two and year three, where it's pretty you know obvious that there's a legitimate business here and there's a bigger opportunity. Then it was kind of a matter of like, well, we're pretty profitable. We're on a good path, you know, and there, there's also an element of just, you have this pride of like, well, we we got through the hard part without raising, like why why do it now? And why bring new people in and why why add variables? And I think we we all just like really liked working with each other um, and didn't want to mess that up by by introducing kind of third parties to the equation and, and have a new new person to answer to like when, when you're bootstrapped and you're profitable and and you have a diverse customer set you're almost in this really advantageous position where you don't answer to anybody you know like you can just kind of do whatever you want build the business the way that you want you know not that you want to like lose customers but if you lose a customer it's not the end of the world because you have a lot of a lot of other ones so there's just like this immense amount of flexibility now more recently as we've you know really scaled pretty legitimately we have like about 200 people on the team then there's some serious constraints that capital can play in terms of like, you know, which path do you go down? Where do you invest in the future? You know, we have a pretty ambitious vision. So I think, you know, we're much more open to bringing capital on at this point. And to your point, you know, plenty of, you know, VCs and private equity funds have reached out along, along the way. And then more recently, especially now too. So I think, I think it's just different stages. I think at, at first it didn't really make sense. And then second, you know, the second stage is like, we're very prideful. We can do it ourselves. We don't really need them. Like, let's stay independent. And then the third, it's like, wait, like there's actually a really big opportunity here. And if we build the right team and we have the capital, we can capitalize on it. And I think that's kind of where we are now. So, you know, you mentioned you're uh, just over 200 employees now. How do you think about like intentionally, like obviously you're very focused on growing the business, uh, but in parallel to that, you know, there's, there's always uh a bit of alchemy and a bit of intention and also kind of scaling and evolving the culture as you grow. And how do you think about that? And like, I even more specifically, like your role as CEO in, in shaping and evolving the culture of the organization as you grow. Yeah. I think as a, as a young entrepreneur, like when I started the company, I was like 22 years old, you know, and it was the first like legitimate, legitimate company that, that I had built. And you know, now I'm 27, but I think the biggest mistake, that I made early on was not realizing how important people and the culture and the values were and being clear about all those things because it, it sets the foundation for everything to come. It sets the foundation for how you make decisions, who you let in, who you don't let stay, um, you know, the types of you know mentality and decisions that people make on a daily basis. So I think I was very much like, oh, let's build the business, let's build the product, that's what matters. But at the end of the day, companies are just a group of people. Like if you don't have the right people in the right culture, you can't build the business and you can't build the product. And I think we made a lot of mistakes early on by either neglecting that part of it or not getting the right people or just assuming that like you don't need to really spend a lot of time to be deliberate about, about those things. Um, and I, I also think early on when you're bootstrapping, 
one of you know one of the propensities that I had that I think a lot of you know young founders or bootstrap companies have is just let's just hire anybody like whoever is willing to join like we just need all hands on deck like let's let's make some hires and and also made a lot of like middle level hires like we, we were like oh well we don't have the capital to bring on great people and I think that was one of the bigger mistakes is looking back I'd much rather have three four five six really strong people and then build the foundation around them then being like oh well we can't afford to have great talent like let's just hire some more junior people for everything because if you have a bunch of junior people in a really startupy scrappy environment that you can't provide a lot of structure and guidance and direction you're you're setting them up for failure and you're also setting the company up for failure uh, as well so you know i i think the philosophy on on how we hire has changed a lot and just being also just a lot more deliberate upfront about making sure we're spending the time to be delivered about who who we're hiring what are we looking for what are the characteristics um and then you know generally speaking my, my overall philosophy is try to you know try to identify what are the three four five six key pillars in the business or the things that really matter the most and make sure they have a strong owner you know and start from that as the foundation and then work work your way around it because i think let's say you say uh, warehousing and fulfillment is so important for swag up then somebody really strong needs to own that. And, and that's the priority is like find that person because once you have trust with them, like trust is the speed and oxygen within a company. Once you give them the trust, then you can you know just give them the power to build the organization as if they're like the kind of CEO of that group within the company. And that's that I've, I've moved much more to that versus kind of me having oversight into everything. And the, the, time, the time period where we made the most progress and moved the fastest was the time when I was most removed from, you know, day-to-day decision-making and, and tactical kind of movements. And, it, and it's more about empowering people. And there was an element of, there was almost an element of laziness. Like at a certain point I had done, I had worked so hard for the first three years. It was just like, I couldn't get to everything. And I was just like, all right, you, you just do it. And, you know, if you, if you don't do it as well as me, whatever, it's fine. And you start to realize that people are actually really talented, especially if they're, you know, specialized in certain areas of the business that you don't know as well. And so I, I, once I realized that if you empower people and give them the right information and you have the right people, that's where you really get leverage. You know, I've started to become much more of a kind of a, you know, a delegating type leader of, of hey, let me set the direction and the tone for the business and, and help get people on block, but let's empower people to make decisions. So that, that's been the biggest evolution for me just in terms of like, you know, architecting the team, how we think about you know talent, and and it's the most you know in my opinion is the most important thing when building business. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's interesting the this this moment of time, particularly that we're in now, and this isn't necessarily novel, but I think when you look at um, the society kind of more broadly and some of the macro events that are happening around the world, from you know Ukraine to the pandemic to you know Black Lives Matter and social justice, there's a range of um, you know, kind of socio and political things that have been happening that are impacting uh, not just society, but but workplaces as well. And I think as companies have navigated all these waters, the the relationship between the CEO and the chief people officer, head of people, CHRO, whatever the title might be, um, has been, you know, the importance of that relationship has been magnified because they tend to be working so closely together as they're navigating the company through all of these events. And I, how do you think about like when you're, when you're partnering with your HR lead, like what does that relationship mean to you? Yeah. I mean, first off, we waited too long to bring somebody into that role. You know, we, we just hired a chief people officer about four months ago, uh, you know, three, four months ago. And, you know, to your point, 
we talk a lot, you know, four times, five times a week around lots of different topics. Cause you know, I, I see her as really helping me spearhead, like what is the culture we're trying to build? How do we, how do we align our people to become our, our most important resource and, and asset? And how do we make sure we have the right types of people here? How do we work through, as, as you're saying, there's a lot of tricky kind of situations to navigate within corporate environments today, whether internally or externally, and, and what's the best way to, to, to work through those. So, you know, I think it's been really important for me to have somebody there that has a lot of experience that's gone through a lot of different kind of ups and downs at different companies and has had to react and, and navigate different scenarios because that's not that's definitely wasn't one of my one of my strong points. So I, I lean on her a lot for guidance of, of how to how to navigate these things. What should I be saying to the company? How how should we be thinking about you know driving performance within the company? How do we build uh, a work environment where people can be you know fulfilled and also be as impactful as possible? How do you navigate both being a high performance organization but being an empathetic organization? Um, so it's you know to your point, I think that that role is getting more and more power within a company in a way like it's you know the seat they deserve a seat at the table when it comes to like being an executive like on the staff in in all the core meetings because everything we're doing you know strategic initiatives building the product it all starts with people and what's your strategy there and and you know I, you know looking back five years ago i would have never said oh you know swagup can't be successful without a chief people officer we need a chief people officer at the table for all these you know big strategic decisions and now I think there's no there's no way that we would go back to not having something like that. It's a very tight relationship, and she reports directly to me, and, and we're pretty close together. Well, Michael, I know you're also um, going to be a dad uh, later this year, and so a congrats on that. Yeah, thank you. Uh, but also, like, how, how do you like? I, you know, I have two young girls, and my uh, you know my wife was pregnant with our first child when I left corporate to start my own company as an entrepreneur, and, and I remember that like even in that moment of time, beginning to think about how I would approach like the balance of being uh, an entrepreneur and running a business and being a, a father. And I like, are you, are you having those moments now? Or are you beginning to be able to kind of, you know, envision your life as a dad and as an entrepreneur? And like, how, how do you think about balancing those things? I think to be honest, I haven't, it hasn't fully hit me yet of like what, what the next steps are or practically speaking, what's going to happen. Uh, I'm kind of, I've, I've always kind of focused on like, okay, what's the playing field in front of me? What are the next, you know, months, two months, three months that we can actually to execute on? So, you know, obviously, you know, I, I can see the future and, and see to a degree, like what that's been like, but I honestly don't think that I've given it enough, you know, thought to really understand like, what's the reality that's about to set in, you know, I was I've been talking to a lot of other founders too, and seeing like, what, what do they do? What are some of their tips? Uh, how do they balance it? The hard part for us too is that Helen is also in the company. So we're both building this company together and having a kid. So sometimes it's like, oh, well, you know, the mom or the dad, you know, could, you know, could take some more time off or, you know, one can stay at home for a while. And, and we're both very deeply involved in the business. So I think that that adds a, an interesting like dynamic to, to everything. I think candidly speaking, like, we need some sort of night nurse or or, uh, or a family member to kind of help us out because, you know, I want to be able to spend a lot of time, but, you know, a lot of productive time, like during the day together with the baby versus, you know, being up until six in the morning, you know, dealing with some of, dealing with some of those kind of complexities. Um, but I think it's one of those things that's just going to be like rolling with the punches when it happens versus kind of trying to over prepare, because I don't know if you can really fully prepare for, what's going to happen. 
uh, speaking from experience, you can't like, it's just gonna, you, you know, you, you have to kind of roll with that, uh, as it comes. Cause even if you have a plan, the, the reality may not at all align with that. So what's the, uh, Mike um, Tyson, uh, the Mike Tyson quote, it's like, everyone's yeah, got a plan, plan until like they get punched in the face or something. Exactly. I think that's kind of, yeah, that's, it's about right. I mean, like, and I think also like, you know, your first kid, everything is absolutely new. And, and a little terrifying, right? Because it's just, you've never experienced anything like that before. Um, you know, but, but you, you get a handle on it and it's, uh, you know, it's interesting. I've talked, I did the same as you. Like I talked to a lot of, uh, fellow entrepreneurs and founders, uh, and just like what that experience was like, you know, for them. And I think it's, uh, you know, ultimately you, you, you find that balance, uh, it doesn't happen right away and it's not a, a linear path to that balance, but when you do, it's, it's super fulfilling. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited for both you and Helen. And I'm super excited too, that a lot of my friends and other founders have, are having kids around this time. Cause I, you know, to me, it was really important to have like friends and they can all grow up together and kind of have this community out of the gate. So I'm excited for that as well. Well, Michael, I, I appreciate you kind of giving, uh, giving us all a deeper overview and insight into swag up and kind of what you're building and where you're going. Um, we wrap up every episode of the lightning round just to help the audience get to know you a little bit better, man. So you ready to jump in? I guess so. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have a choice, really. I don't yeah, even know yeah. why I ask you if you're ready, because like we're, we're going. You like lightning um, bolts and lightning rounds. Uh, you know, you're seeing a recurring theme here. Um, yeah. So we're going to start off with music. Um, I'm checking out your Spotify playlist. Uh, who will I learn are some of your top three artists? It's great. I mean, I love hip hop. I, I love Travis Scott. I love Kanye West. I like... Uh, Frank Ocean, so you know, but at, but at the same time, it's a pretty diverse set. I like Frank Sinatra and some of that kind of like classical and jazz type music. So it's pretty diverse. But hip hop's like the go to, especially at the gym. Um, what was your latest binge on TV? Well, we just watched the Kanye West documentary. Actually, it was a the three part series, so we watched that over a course of two days. So I'd say that. And then before that, it was catching up on Billions. I, I, I've never really been a big like TV person, so I, I still have a lot to catch up on. If you know, maybe some time with the, the baby, I'll be able to watch some of this stuff. But uh, Billions was the, the next one that I actually like dove deep into. Uh, who is a business leader who you admire and why? I think I, I always like to say Richard Branson. And, and I'm fortunate enough that I had a chance to like actually spend some time with him and, and meet him at one point. But I think he has this really incredible balance of just like being a really awesome business person, you know, taking big risks, doing things that people think are impossible or crazy. But at the same time, just like enjoying his life, enjoying his time with his family, doing things that he's happy and passionate and, and, and having a good time with. So, you know, and also he's in great shape. He's like 80, 82, 83 years old. The guy's like ripped up. So I, I aspire to be someone like him that goes after things that are really ambitious, like achieving, achieving his dreams, but also at the same time being super fulfilled and, and balancing with his life and staying healthy. So. Cool. Yeah. He's, uh, he's, he's an amazing role model for, I think anybody in business, but also in life. Uh, he just, he seizes it. So, yeah. um, last question for you. If you, uh, I know you've been, uh, an entrepreneur a couple of times over, so I'm actually going to push you into another career path. Uh, you can't be another founder or entrepreneur. You have to do something different. What would it be? I don't know. I've kind of realized over time that I'm probably not the greatest employee. Um, and I think most, most founders would kind of say that. But I, I'm a very analytical person. Like I love spending time in like spreadsheets and analyzing numbers and data and statistics. And you know, I actually like I'll, I'll spend a weekend just doing that stuff out of fun because I actually really like to do it. So something with with like mathematics and statistics, or you know, I, I spent some time in a hedge fund. So some of that like investment analysis type stuff. It sounds a little 
nerdy and boring. Like I, I liked, um, you know, investment analysts, like in the public markets, they'll analyze stocks and they'll write reports and they have their models. And, and I like writing as well. So I, I probably wouldn't mind being like a stock analyst or something. All right, Michael, I really appreciate you taking time to come on the podcast, share your journey and what you're building. And um, yeah, wishing you all the best. Awesome. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Redefining HR. For more information on the podcast, past episodes, future guests, the Redefining HR book or free resources, be sure to check out redefininghr.com. And if you dig this podcast, why don't you share it with your CEO, your executive team, and your friends to help them discover what Redefining HR is all about. If you really dig this podcast, I'd love for you to leave a review on whatever podcast delivery vehicle your ears prefer. See you next week.